Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. What should be true for you as a Christ follower and for me as well is you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. But I get afraid. Of course you do, because you're still a human being, right? You have fear happens. That's what happens. In heaven, we talk about no more sin, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death, none of that stuff. Nobody ever mentions fear. In heaven, you will never, ever, ever be afraid of anything. Throughout the Bible, God tells us to fear not. Although we have human frailties and weaknesses, as Christians, God is with us. Pastor James comforts us today with the reminder that heaven is a place where all fear is gone. The anxieties of this life caused by sin, those are going to completely end. There's no need to fear, and His Spirit is one of power and love and sound mind. So trust in the Lord and believe Him when He says that we shouldn't live our lives in fear. Have faith that God is going to take care of you. He's in control. Now turn in your Bible to the book of Micah chapter 3 for today's edition of Bread for the Broken. You priests teach God's law only for a price. You prophets won't prophesy unless you are paid. Yet all of you claim to depend on the Lord. No harm can come to us, you say, for the Lord is here among us. This is just how ignorant they are to this spiritual reality of like God had long since abandoned them. He wasn't talking to them. And yet they thought, no, we're doing God's work. We're doing the Lord's work. And Micah's like, no, actually you're not. Because you priests, you're only going to teach if somebody pays you. You prophets, you're only going to prophesy unless somebody pays you. You hate justice. He's like, you despise everything that God has put you in a position to lead as. You hate all of that stuff. And then you have the audacity to think that God's with me in this right now. The Spirit of God's, he's here with me. And Mike is like, no, the Spirit of God is here with me. You're a sinner. You're in rebellion. You can tell he's probably not the most popular guy in, in Israel at this moment in time, right? I mean, he had contemporaries going on. You know, he's a contemporary of Isaiah, and, and there's another minor prophet that he's a contemporary of. But the ones who speak the truth are never the popular ones, for the most part. The ones who are willing to be bold and stand for actual truth and justice, and they're not really like that much. People don't like that. And what was true back then is, is true today as well. Now, there's some encouraging news on the church front, although the, the church numbers in America are continually declining. Church attendance is continually on the decline. Nobody should be surprised by that at all, by the way. You should not be surprised by that at all. That's the way it's supposed to go, right? We would like for it to trend upwards. There are some churches that are seeing trends upwards. And the common denominator behind all churches that are experiencing growth right now are ones that just preach the word of God, usually verse by verse and chapter by chapter. Those churches are seeing growth. A lot of other churches that are like more of 
just kind of tickle your ear and do whatever it takes to get you in the room so we can look like we're doing a bunch of good stuff. They're seeing their numbers just continually declining. So there is good news. I mean, the Lord is obviously still on the move and he's still doing stuff. But I would hope that even as we as individuals can take on more of a Micah type attitude of like, I'm just, look, I'm here to serve the Lord. I'm here to serve the Lord. I'm going to stand for truth. I'm going to represent God. I pray every single day that the Holy Spirit would fill me and empower me every single day. And multiple times on Sundays and Thursdays, to be honest with you. If you don't see me out here, it's probably because I'm hiding in my office on my face praying. It's usually what's going on. In case you're like, where's James at? Doesn't like to hang out anymore. Now I'm praying that God would please fill me with the Holy Spirit before I come out here. Because I, I know the weight of this. I know the weight that this thing carries. Mike, is, he's a bold man standing for truth and surrounded by a bunch of people who are just completely bought off into trying to find hope and significance and pleasure and all this other stuff and things that are everything but God. F.B. Myers said, he's an old dead guy, he said, who I really love his writings, he says, those who reject the moral claims of God on their conduct can look for no comfort in his promises. I'll read it again. Those who reject the moral claims of God on their conduct can look for no comfort from his promises. You can't live in outright rebellion and just think like, well, God owes me this. He owes me this. He promised this. And it's like, yeah, well, you're supposed to be devoted to him. Didn't you make a promise too? And that's essentially what the nation of Israel was doing. They had just abandoned God in all aspects of their lives. But they still were like, you, you have to bless us because we're the nation of Israel. You have to bless us. And God's like, well, <laughs> how about I bless you by punishing you? How about I do that? How about I, oh, you want a promise? Oh, I got a promise for you. Um, captivity, because he promised that. He's like, if you don't do this, you will be taken captive. How about that? And they're like, no, well, wait, maybe. They didn't even get it. This letter that Micah had written, there was some effect on the nation of Israel because it took about a century before the fulfillment of this thing took place. We know that because this last verse in chapter 3, because you, Mount Zion, will be plowed like an open field, Jerusalem will be reduced to ruins, a thicket will grow on the heights where the temple now stands. But this is the verse from Jeremiah chapter 26, verses 17 through 24, that led to like a little bit of a mini repentance for those guys. Really, this is what saved Jeremiah's life. He was up to be executed. And he's like, Micah chapter 3, verse 12. They didn't have the numbers or anything like that back then, but he quotes this verse from Micah, and this verse is exactly what saved Jeremiah's life. Soon after that, the destruction would come. The destruction would come. So it may have bought them a little bit of time, but ultimately there was never really a fully turning away from the idols and turning to God. We do know, and I've mentioned this before, but post-captivity, idolatry, quote-unquote, was not that much of a problem for Israel. So they kind of learned a lesson in 70 years in Babylon. They kind of learned a lesson, although they became just super self-righteous and uh, still didn't accomplish all that God had planned for them to do. But I digress. So you have that verse 12. That's, again, that's a cross-reference in Jeremiah 26, 17 through 24. Saved his life. 
And then you go into chapter four. Now, this is a crazy chapter. Technically, chapter four and five should go together. I'm only going to do four. But chapter four is future. This is where you transition into like future type stuff. Because sometimes these minor prophets, you're like, you're waiting for the prophecy stuff. You're like, all this sounds like old stuff that's probably already happened. And that's basically what it is. You know, I mean, it was prophecy for them. It was future for them. But we can look back and see like, yeah, we see how all these things happen. But in each one of these minor prophets, there's always like a little nugget, so to speak, of some future type stuff. And this chapter four is that. It says, in the last days, the term the last days, that is an end times reference. It says, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills. And the people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. Like, this is incredible end times reality stuff, right? So there will come a day when it talks about people from many nations. I mean, that is technically what you're talking about there. It's not just Jews. It's all sorts of people from all over the globe. One day we will all be traversing up the mount to go and just sit at the feet of Jesus to listen to him. Like, you want a good Bible teacher? Well, just hang on for heaven. Nobody is better than Jesus, right? Like, yeah, and he taught some pretty amazing epic Bible lessons on earth that, you know, hey, praise God, we got the gospels for all that stuff. But he hasn't even scratched the surface. You have all of eternity to sit at the feet of Jesus. And I don't think that that's all we're going to be doing forever, But there's this element of like people from all over the world will be going up to the mount to what? To sit at his feet. It says there he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. It's amazing. And these verses right here are almost almost identical to Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. In fact, they almost are word for word. So which one came first? Who knows? They're contemporaries. They're writing this stuff almost at the same time. So which one came first? Was it Micah or was it Isaiah? Actually, I do have the answer to that. It was the Holy Spirit, and he delivered it at the right time for each one of those dudes. So neither one of those guys can take credit for it, because it was the Holy Spirit that gave them this, this glimpse into the future. It says, for the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem one thing to note from there is his word remains. His word remains. His word's never going to go away. Never going to go. Can you imagine your study Bible in heaven? I use journal Bibles all the time because I need space to write stuff down. I can't even imagine what that's going to look like in heaven. Praise God, I'm going to have a new body. I can lug around this gigantic Bible that's going to have to have a lot of blank space so I can just write all these things down as God is just He's just laying, like, hey, just sit at my son's feet. He's got some Bible stories to tell you. Like, all that stuff you thought you knew on earth, let me tell you what it really means. That's where all the, the pride and everything that we hold on to today and our different d- distinct groups and all that silly stuff that we do will all be level at the feet of Jesus. When we're like, oh, is it Calvinism? Is it Arminianism? Which, which section do I sit in? Jesus is like, just sit down and be quiet. Let me tell you what it actually means. Oh, you thought you knew. Yeah, you, you were clueless. Yeah, you don't even know. <laughs> so I imagine that's what 
most of what the Lord is going to speak to me. He's like, yeah, it was a good try. It was a good try. A for effort, but you're way off. So hopefully not. But uh, sitting at his feet, the word of God going forth, just amazing. Now I understand that his word is, is his word, and it's not just limited to this book. So please understand. I know he's not just solely going to be like teaching the word, but I think this book, when I say this book, I mean the Bible, I don't see it disappearing in heaven. I don't see it disappearing in heaven, which is kind of cool. I hope that whatever your thoughts are about heaven, new heaven, new earth, I hope you're just constantly like thinking of that. Not so much that you're like not really present here on earth, like don't be that guy, but like you're thinking about the what ifs and the, could it be like this, could it be, nobody knows, but it, I think it's good to, I think it's good to, to initiate your imagination because what you need sometimes is that little shot of adrenaline on these rough days that you may be going through where you're like, well, it's not me with the split down my chest. It's that little six-year-old kid I was praying for today. And what he's thinking is like, I don't even want to be in this body, man. I just want to die. Six-year-old kid. I'm like, no, buddy, the Lord's not done with you, man. If I can plant some seeds into your little brain and your little heart, like, just imagine what it's going to be like where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin, no more sorrow, no, none of that stuff. Those moments can, uh, can get us through good days and bad days. I hope that you just stay excited about heaven. That's ultimately what I'm getting to. Just stay excited about heaven. I love this earth. You guys know the deal. I love this planet. It's pretty beautiful. It's pretty epic. People, eh. Uh, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, it's amazing. What God has created is amazing. Imagine this, but no sin. Ah, I can't even, that should stoke the fire for you and be like, yeah, okay, Lord, what do I got to do? Who do I got to share the gospel to, right? Like, are we just waiting on one person to get saved? Or like, what's the deal here? Like, I want to get there. He's going to teach us his ways. We'll walk in his path. The Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between peoples. We'll settle disputes between strong nations far away. And this is very like, is this new heaven, new earth? Like, what are we talking about here? Different thoughts on that. It's not new heaven and new earth because there's no disputes. Could this be the millennial reign of Jesus? Like I said, there's different thoughts on this. Well, there's essentially three that I'm aware of. There could be more than that. But the Lord's going to be the mediator between peoples. Any disputes that are going on from nations, they're solved. Here's what's kind of crazy about this verse. Verse 3, the rest of it. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. So this is a verse that a lot of our, well, a lot of our world leaders like to hold on to this verse. In fact, if you go over to to Israel right now, over one of the main sites that you you kind of visit over there, I think it's, it's at the Holocaust Museum. I mean, it's as you exit the park, across the gate, the exit is this verse, right? Pretty good reason to put that verse up there is you just walk through a Holocaust museum and you're just seeing nothing but Jews starting off happy, safe, secure, and then you just watch the progression of what these evil, evil, wicked people put them through and just death, 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 and death. So they put this verse on the gate as you leave that place because their hope is that there would be peace. Their hope is, is that Whatever weapons we have, we'll just turn those into agricultural tools. That's their hope. 
The sad thing is we live in a world where we're turning our agricultural tools into weapons. Into weapons. And we've been doing that for thousands of years. Peace can be had, but it can only be had through Jesus. And it's when he's in his future reign, then this will become a reality. Nations will no longer fight against nations nor train for war anymore. There will be no need for any armies. No need for that. It says everyone will live in peace and prosperity, enjoying their own grapevines and fig trees, for there will be nothing to fear. Please underline that. I don't know what it says in your translation. I forgot to look at the ESV and New King James. I normally try to do that. My New Living Translation says, for there will be nothing to fear. You need to circle that. Because one element that we, we don't ever really talk about, and let's just say, I don't care if this is millennial kingdom or new heaven and new earth, what's true for you as a Christ follower, what should be true for you as a Christ follower and for me as well, is you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. But I get afraid. Of course you do, because you're still a human being, right? You have fear happens. That's what happens. In heaven, we talk about no more sin, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death, none of that stuff. Nobody ever mentions fear. In heaven, you will never, ever, ever be afraid of anything. Ever. Kind of hits at a different level, doesn't it? Because it's one thing to say, like, no more sin. And we're like, yeah, that's, of course, that sounds fantastic. No more tears. Yeah, that sounds good. No more sorrow. Amen. Please, God, no more sorrow. But yet so much, so many of us walk around in constant state of fear. In heaven, it's not even present. There's no fear. There's no fear. Why do you think I'm going to own a pet grizzly bear in heaven? I have no fear that that dude is going to eat me, number one, because I'm a glorified body. He can't kill me. But there's no fear, no fear at all. What traps us down here, what is shortening the lives of people on this planet every single day will not exist in heaven, should not exist in your relationship with Jesus. And I can say that because it's a command. Do not be afraid. What do we say this all the time? 365 references for you to fear not every single day. You need a Bible verse every day? There you go. Hey, don't be afraid. But you don't know my circumstances. I know. I'm right there with you. But we can't be afraid. We can't give way to fear. In a new heaven, new earth, thousand-year reign of Christ, all this fun stuff. For the believers, no fear. No fear. It doesn't exist anymore. So the Lord of heaven's army, this is the rest of verse 4, has made this promise, and you can bank on it. You can trust. If this is what God says is going to happen, this is what's going to happen. Verse 5, though the nations around us follow their idols, we will follow the Lord our God forever and ever. So he goes in this last little part of chapter 4 here. In that coming day, says the Lord, I will gather together those who are lame, not like lame, like you're lame, like not fun to be around, like lame, like you can't walk, those who have been exiles, those whom I have filled with grief, right? They've they've just experienced grief throughout their lives. Those who are weak will survive as a remnant. 
those who were exiles will become a strong nation. Then I, the Lord, will rule from Jerusalem as their king forever. As for you, Jerusalem, the citadel of God's people, your royal might and power will come back to you again. The kingship will be restored to my precious Jerusalem. So God cares about Jerusalem. He still cares about Jerusalem. There will be a a restoration of that nation and those people. He's not done with Israel. I will say that forever. He is not done with Israel. He's like, I'm going to make you a strong nation. I'm going to set up my throne in Jerusalem. I'm going to rule from Jerusalem. Why? Because he loves Jerusalem. He loves it. Verse 9, though. But why are you now screaming in terror? Have you no king to lead you? They do have a king. Have your wise people all died? Pain has gripped you like a woman in childbirth. Writhe and groan like a woman in labor, you people of Jerusalem. For now you must leave this city to live in the open country. You will soon be sent into exile or in exile to distant Babylon. But the Lord will rescue you there. He will redeem you from the grip of your enemies. So please note within there, he's like, look, you're freaking out right now. You're panicking right now. You could still turn to me is kind of what he said. You could still turn to me. But here's what's going to happen. You're going to leave this city. You will be in exile in Babylon. However, I will rescue you. This punishment is going to happen, but God will come to the rescue. At just the right time, by the way. These 70 years in Babylon were specific and ordained by God. It wasn't just some random number. He's like, I don't know, uh, let's say 70, right? No, there's a reason for that because you didn't honor the covenantal agreement that you had with God when he brought you into the promised land. Give the land rest. And they were like, but we like making money. So we're not going to give the land rest. And God's like, okay, well, I'm going to store that up. And then you're going to go away for 70 years so that the land can have the rest that I want it to have. So there's a rhyme and a reason for the number Contributing to that was the fact that they were still in just rebellion. They were full on into idolatry. Now, verse 11, many nations have gathered against you. Let her be desecrated, they say. Let us, let us see the destruction of Jerusalem. But they do not know the Lord's thoughts or understand his plan. These nations don't know what, or that he is gathering them together to be beaten and trampled like sheaves of grain on the threshing floor. Rise up. Crush the nations, O Jerusalem, says the Lord, for I will give you iron horns and bronze hooves so you can trample many nations to pieces. You will present their stolen riches to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. Chapter 5 goes right into it, but again, I'm going to pause there. He's letting them know because he's like, look, you're losing your minds right now. This is reality. This is where you're headed. This is what's in store for you. But fear not. I'm going to rescue you at the right time. Jerusalem, don't miss out on what's been made available to you. These surrounding nations are just, they're they're just watching and they're waiting for the destruction. Isn't that fun when people are just surrounding you waiting for you to collapse? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that such a good thing? Happens all the time in church. It's like vultures. They're flying around like the dying carcass, right? They're just waiting to pounce. God's like, I've given you all you need to, to overtake these fools. I've equipped you with everything you need. To overtake them.
Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're currently in a series called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. Don't let the word minor fool you. Normally, its definition is widely known as not important, but that's not the case here. Many men from days of old spoke about the faithfulness of Jesus and his power to bring wayward souls back to him. Despite all of their poor choices, Jesus used different prophets to speak the saving truth of his righteousness into their lives. If you liked what you heard today, you have an opportunity to share it with others by making a donation to this ministry at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Donation tab. Feel free to explore other teachings by Pastor James as well. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary, Galveston. If you're looking for a church that you can call home, or you simply want to connect and pray with somebody, we'd love to be that for you. You can get in touch with us by filling out the contact form at our website, breadforthebroken.com. Interested in visiting us at one of our services? Well, you have two options available to you, Sundays at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. If you can't get there, we invite you to use our Facebook live stream. We'd love to connect with you because there's hope and healing in Jesus. Our time is up for today's edition, but we'd encourage you to tune in next time to hear more about these prophets that had major messages from God. Join us for more wisdom that comes from the Word of God right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.